Just so that we introduce myself and my family, my name is Patrick Bujak, and my wife is Miss Loretta. She's back there with my two youngest children, Gracie and Matthew. Those two have been partners in crime almost since birth, and uh, we're thankful to be here in the Fort Worth area today. I, um, I was born and raised in East Detroit, Michigan. Uh, my dad was a factory worker, and... Um, but I, it was almost like I wasn't raised in the north because the church I went to had nothing but southern or western Kentucky preachers. As a matter of fact, if you weren't from western Kentucky, you didn't get to come to our church and preach. And uh, our, our song director's name was Dew Roberts. Now, how many places in Michigan do you think there was a song director named Dew? I mean, I'm sorry, folks. It just doesn't happen. But uh, we were raised in the country. And trust me, the, all, we, all I did is, uh, in, in our family, uh, we went to school and we went to church. And church was a major portion of our lives. Um, my dad, uh, we, we, we grew up playing baseball. And uh, uh, sometimes our little league games would fall on a Wednesday night. And uh, often, me or my brother, we were the best players on our team. But when it came to 6.30 on Wednesday night, we were walking off that mound in our baseball uniform... And we were heading to the Warren Baptist Church because my dad wanted me to know that church came before sports. Now, I didn't always care for that. As a child, I often resented being taken off the mound because I was wanting to win. But my dad was more, uh, was more concerned with my soul, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, I, I do appreciate the uh, Brother Hudson honoring the veterans today. If you're a veteran, I didn't turn around and see how many of you all stood up. But I thank you for your service. Thank God for veterans. My, my grandfather, Eddie, died when I was three years old. He, was, uh, he played for the Detroit Tigers in their, in their uh, minor league baseball system. And right around December 7, 1941, his life changed. When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, he stood in line with thousands of people in Detroit to go and fight. He never played baseball again. He gave that up. And uh, he went and he fought in the Army Air Force. And uh, I thank God for the heritage that I have. And uh, I thank God for those who served in our nation's military. If you're a veteran here today, uh, I'm thankful for a church who honors veterans. Thank you for your service. We do want to thank uh, Brother Davison, Brother Martin. Brother Davison let me drive his vehicle. He's got a big white SUV that he picked me up in. It's a foreign car, and I'll forgive him for that. But... uh, my kids were commenting how the TVs in the back seat didn't have 4K. So, you know. But thank you for the vehicle and thank you for the nice place to stay, sleep, and for the meal yesterday. Uh, Brother Martin has been in touch with us for a couple of weeks and we've talked briefly. And yesterday it was good to, uh, to sit down at Cheddar's and have a meal with the Davison family. Uh, Before we get into the message this morning, just a little bit more. I I met my wife in third grade Sunday school at the Warren Baptist Church. Uh, Most of the blessings in my life came because my dad chose to go to the Warren Baptist Church. I was saved in that church. I made several false professions uh, to preach or or to to, uh, salvation in that church. I was baptized several times in that church. Only one time really mattered. Um, But... um, uh, the Lord blessed us through that church. 
And uh, my wife and I met in third grade Sunday school. She didn't fall in love with me to fifth grade. That's her fault. And uh, we have five children together. And uh, we're, we're just, I'm thankful for the life that the Lord has given us. We've lived a blessed life. I'm still very much in love with my wife. And um, most days she's very much in love with me. And so we're thankful to be here with you. Uh, I'm, from, I'm living in the Cincinnati area now. Uh, we are, I'm the associate pastor at the Southland Baptist Church. Uh, you know, I enjoy sports. I enjoy uh, hunting. Uh, my wife enjoys um, shopping, uh, decorating, thank God, cooking. And uh, she loves her family. And uh, we're thankful to be here with you today. We'll be in Luke chapter number 4. Luke chapter number 4 is where we will be this morning. And when you find your place in Luke chapter number 4, if you'd be standing with me for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter number 4. We'll begin our reading in verse number 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bare him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elias the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And we'll stop our reading right there, and we're going to preach a message entitled, Lessons from Nazareth, this morning. Let us pray. Our Father, we humble ourselves in your presence at this time. We pray, Lord, that you'd use the preaching of your word to draw your people close to your side. Lord, if there's anyone here today who does not know you as their Savior, I pray that today might be the day that they receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior once and for all. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who are here who are already believers, that you take this message and that you'd use it to encourage our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The city of Nazareth lay in the hills 
about 12 miles southwest of the Sea of Galilee. It was known for its being a fertile land. Excavations have taken place during this time period, and we know based on Bible history and some secular history that it was a conservative town that clung to Jewish culture in a world that had been radically affected by Greek thought and culture. It had a very small population at the time of Christ, and young Jewish men were expected to be literate in this place. Jesus was raised around Nazareth. You might remember that when Jesus was born, it was a very tumultuous time. Wise men had come from afar, and those wise men had come to worship the Lord, and they they appeared before Herod, and Herod said, you find this little boy because I want to come and worship him as well. It was Herod's idea to kill the Christ child, and it was then that the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him to get out of there with Jesus. And Jesus went into Egypt according to the prophet. It was an Old Testament prophecy that says, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And so Joseph fled to Egypt where the Lord was there for several years. And then the Lord came back to Joseph and said, Come back into the land of Israel. And that's where Jesus was raised and where Joseph settled down was a little town called Nazareth. This is the place where the Lord was brought up. Some of you today, I heard someone say today that they have been in this church for 62 years. That's a long time to be going to one church. 62 years is a long time. Uh, I mean, uh, I remember when I was growing up in church and all of my early memories was about church, about You know, my dad leading songs about singing. My parents taught me and raised me to to go into the nursing homes. We had a singing family. And my parents wanted me to know that I was just not on this earth to serve myself. We were there to serve other people. And we took time over and above church in order to minister to other people. And those nursing homes back in those days, they didn't smell the greatest. But I could tell you that when we went into those places, there were times when the Lord worked in the hearts of those people and worked into the heart of a little boy where I saw the Lord ministering to people there, and I was thankful for that. But what I'm saying is I have a lot of memories about my childhood and about church. I remember when I was about the age of four or five, there was a confident preacher who came in from western Kentucky. His name was Paul McWhorter. And the way that he walked into church, he carried himself in a particular way, and he grabbed my attention. And I'm thankful for him because he was a great preacher. He'd preach the paint off the walls. And I was thankful to be there. And this, these, were my, these were my growing up years I, uh, around church. So there was a lot of things that went around, uh, around church, and I just knew that church. I knew everybody's name, and everybody knew us. You know, it's good to go to church where you know people's names. You go to a church sometimes, and it's so big with so many people, and you don't get to know many, very many people. I've never been a part of a church like that. I've always been a part of a, an intimate church family, if you will, where people got to know each other. Well, Christ knew these people very well in Nazareth. And so the Bible says a few things here, and if you draw your attention to verse number 16, we read about some of the customs of the Savior. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So we read, first of all, of the customs of the Savior. The word custom here in the Bible is only used four times. It literally means to be accustomed. It means this was a habit of his life, and habits are good. I'm thankful for parents who raised me in an environment where it was a habit to go to church. 
There was never a time in my life growing up where it was an option to be in church. We were going to be there. There was no question. Now, we didn't live during the times of COVID. We lived in a different place. But you ever heard that song, Excuses, Excuses? I hear them every day. When we had runny noses, we were in church. It didn't, we, we better be sick nigh unto death not to go to church. And that's just the way it was. You know, some, one time years ago, I said that I had a drug problem. And people said, oh! I did have a drug problem. My parents drugged me to church every time the doors were open. And they made sure that I sat under the preaching. It was good. Now, I understand that in the Old Testament, the Sabbath day is not Sunday. It was on Saturday. But the principle still applies in this day and age. Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And from that time forth, people worshiped the Lord on Sunday. On the first day of the week, it's when they took up offerings. It's when they preached it's when, they, it's when they gathered together and assembled. And they were gathering, not just on the Lord's Day, but listen, it was John on the Isle of Patmos who said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. That's what Sunday is. It's the Lord's Day. It's not the Lord's morning. It's the Lord's Day. Amen. And thank the Lord for the Lord's Day. So the custom of the Savior was he went into the synagogue, into the place of worship, on the Lord's or on the Sabbath day. You know, you can't read any part of the Old Testament where God does not place an emphasis on the place of worship. Now listen, the place of worship was always filled with imperfect people. In the Old Testament, you read of a priest named Eli. Eli honored his sons above the Lord and God wasn't happy with it. The people abhorred to come down to the house of the Lord because his sons were stealing things down there. God wasn't happy with Eli and he judged Eli. But people still went up to Shiloh in order to worship there. You don't come to church because it's full of perfect people. In fact, the church is filled with imperfect people. We go to church because of Him, and there's something altogether lovely about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is altogether holy and perfect, the sinless Son of God. Church attendance is very important. It does not solve all of your problems. Some people put such an emphasis on church membership or church attendance that they believe it solves their, all their problems. Listen, church attendance does not solve all your problems, but it will certainly help to be faithful. It'll help you to be faithful in church because it gives God an opportunity to work in your heart. Just this morning as I sat in the front row and Brother Davison was leading the songs, I felt the presence of God as I sang. This may trouble you, but I'm not focused on you when I sing in church. I'm focused on the Lord. It's good for me to focus on the Lord. Now, it's good for me to be around people, and I'm thankful that you came to church today. But when I was getting ready to come to church this morning, the first person that I'm coming to church for is the Lord. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it was the Lord's custom to come to church. It has often troubled me throughout this culture to see how a lack of emphasis on church and church attendance has taken hold. Many years ago when I was working with Pastor Smith at Mount Zion Baptist Church, I recorded some music and some churches were asking me to come, almost serving as an evangelist in the church. And it would trouble me as I was staying in hotels over the weekend as I was going to be ministering to new places and it was filled with young people. On Sunday morning, wearing their ball uniforms to see how this culture has put sports before the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. Sports can become an idol, and in many cases in our culture, it's become that. 
But it's sad to see the degradation in our society. Church attendance is still very important. It was the Lord's custom. You know, habits can help you, young people. Develop a habit to be in church. Even if you're not right with God, come to church. Give God an opportunity to speak to you in your life. Sometimes people avoid a lot of problems in their life because they came to church and gave God that opportunity to work in their life through the preaching of His Word. Secondly, the Lord, as He went into the synagogue, He stood up in verse 16 for to read. He read God's Word on the Lord's day. More important than your cell phone, your tablet, the television, the news, or anything else going in your life, it's the Word of God. The Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's so sad that many Christians have turned out the light because they won't read God's word. If Christ read God's word and he wrote it, you should read God's word. How will God ever speak to your heart? I meet people all the time who seem like they get signs and messages from God from a license plate in front of them or a street sign. Listen, God speaks to you through His Word, and when you read His Word, you give God an opportunity to speak to your heart. I've tried to find it a habit in my life as I do my Bible studying to journal what I'm thinking about because I want God to have access to my thoughts. There are people in our generation who've forsaken Bible reading for podcasts. God does not ordain a podcast to speak to you. When you listen to a podcast, and I'm not opposed to them, You are listening to someone else trying to use the arts of persuasion to draw your mind somewhere. But when you read God's Word, you're letting God speak to you. It's important to read God's Word. Jesus read God's Word. In fact, the place that Jesus was reading here was in Isaiah chapter number 61. What a powerful message it was. If you flip your Bible back to the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, chapter number 61. This is where the Lord read. This is where he was reading, and it was quite a passage that day. As Jesus went to the synagogue where he was brought up, he knew these people intimately well. He knew exactly who they were. He knew exactly how they thought. And in Isaiah chapter number 61, the Lord took the scriptures that were delivered to him by that minister, and he read these words in a way like no one had ever read them before. For he was the Son of God. Verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance to our God, to comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. This was the passage where he read. If you take your Bible and flip back to Luke chapter number 4, we won't take time to read all that he was said to have read here in Luke chapter number 4. But when Jesus got done reading Isaiah chapter number 61, the Bible says in verse 20, He closed the book. He closed the book, and He gave it again to the minister. Then the Scripture says that He sat down. 
When a Jewish teacher would sit down, it was a sign of authority. Who has more authority than the Son of God? Can you imagine how Jesus just read this passage of Scripture and sat down? And the Bible said everybody was watching Jesus. The eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, and these were powerful words. This day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. He said, when Isaiah wrote this 700 so on years before, he was writing about me. And he was writing about this day. So when he sat down and began to say these things, these folks, the Bible says that they all wondered at his gracious words that came out of his mouth. But the message that Christ would preach was, it was a powerful message. It's pretty awesome to think about Jesus saying that the Lord anointed me to preach. Jesus was quite a preacher. He showed that here. This was his first sermon at Nazareth. Oh, he'd been to the synagogue many times. He'd heard people try to exegete the Bible before. He'd heard people talking about the Old Testament, the Jewish rabbis before. But now he, at the age of 30, was about ready to deliver his first sermon in this synagogue. And when we talk about Jesus Christ, he is the sermon, folks. He is the Word. He was everything. And when Jesus was about to get ready to preach, listen. One thing about the Lord when He preaches, He knows exactly where to put the finger. Right on the spot. Right in your pea patch, if you will. Right in a sensitive place. And Jesus did a very effective job here at preaching. Now, folks, not all preaching is responded to well. This might surprise you. But not everybody responded well to the greatest preacher who was ever on the planet. His name was Jesus Christ. And if they didn't receive the message of Jesus Christ, then those of us who are God-called preachers in this day should expect that there will be some people who reject the preaching today. Now, I don't preach for you. I preach for Him. One day i got to stand before the Lord, and I'm going to give an account for the words that I use to influence people. And that is a grave responsibility. So whether or not the preaching makes you mad or happy, you know, sometimes it's, it's necessary to actually get a little bit mad or upset when someone's preaching because God's starting to work something into your heart. You know, we would call that conviction. Aren't you thankful that God convicted you? I mean, without conviction, there is no salvation. God convicted me that day, showed me that I was a sinner, that I needed a Savior. And so the Lord was about to, as we would call it back where I came from, lay the medicine on these people. He was familiar with the synagogue. As his childhood was spent with these people, he delivered this unsavory message to these people, and he used two Old Testament illustrations to basically put the emphasis right where it needed to be in the synagogue. If you look down in verse number 24, Jesus made a a comment of a truth. He basically said, I'm not going to be accepted here in Nazareth. How they responded to this message was proof. They weren't going to accept him. And then he went on to give these two Old Testament illustrations and he put his finger right on a very sensitive area in these people's lives. Verse number 25. The first illustration that Jesus gave in his sermon was about the widow of Zarephath. But I tell you of a truth, 
Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. So the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, you know, here's the fine point of it. The widow at Zarephath was not a Jew. She was a Gentile. Elijah prayed, according to the book of James. We may cover this this afternoon. But he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it didn't rain on the face of the earth for the space of three years and six months. It was a great famine. Elijah ended up suffering along with everyone else when the brook dried up, and God sent him to a widow woman at Zarephath who was going to sustain him. We may consider that this afternoon. Elijah got there just in time, and because of the pronouncements of Elijah, God took care of this Gentile widow and Elijah all the way until the earth gave its reign again. This message to the people in the synagogue at Nazareth was not taken very well. The next thing he mentions was about Elisha, the prophet that followed Elijah. In verse number 27, he said, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisius the prophet. That's Elisha. You can read about this in 2 Kings 5. The Bible says, And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. He said, You know, during the days of Elisha, there was a whole lot of Jewish lepers. But only one leper got any help during the time of Elisha, and it was a Syrian guard named Naaman, an honorable man. He actually had a, a young lady, a little maid, who was with him. And when he came down with leprosy, it was because of that little maid that, that Naaman found out where he could go back and get cleansed. So when Jesus said this, hey, there was a lot of lepers in Israel, but only a Syrian leper got any help during the time of Elisha. You know, what exactly do you think that was saying about the religion of the people there at Nazareth? Because when they heard these things, the Bible says in verse 28, they were filled with wrath, in verse 29, and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of a hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. Now that's the receipt of Jesus at his hometown after preaching his first sermon. You know what I would give you for the religion of people that are going to throw the Son of God off of a hill headlong? Not a plug nickel. And neither would Jesus give anything for their religion either. And that's why he came in there and preached. He said, you folks have a great problem. Apparently they never read the book of Ruth. How that a Moabite came into the family of the Lord and Jesus himself was even born from that lineage. Apparently they didn't read the story of Naaman with the same kind of, you know, understanding that we could read and see this guy just got saved where he said, hey, what if I got to go into the house of Rimmon and bow my knee before my master to get him up? And Elisha said, you're going to be okay. He said, well, at least let me take some dirt home so I can worship to the God of Israel now. Apparently they didn't read that passage because in their economy, only Jews got saved, you know. I'm here to tell you that Jesus came to save all nations. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus didn't come here just to save one race or one creed. Jesus didn't just come to, here to save you if you're from the United States or Mexico or, or Africa or whatever, wherever it is that your peoples find that their heritage from. I personally, my, my dad's ancestors came from Austria. 
And my mom was born in Kaiserslaut in Germany. Ich liebe Deutsch. That means I love the Germans. And I like uh, sauerkraut and all the sausages and everything else that goes along with being having a German heritage. And if I start hollering too much, I'm sorry. It's just the German coming out in me. My, my, my children got me a shirt for Christmas last year. And said something about if I'm shouting or something, I'm sorry for being German, you know. But uh, I came from, I, you know, I came from not a pure pedigree, if you will, but I'm thankful the Lord loved me. Amen. The Bible says that He died for the whole world. He died for everybody. And Jesus, the Bible says in John 3:16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And this morning, we might be able to point out the fact that Jesus' message infuriated those who were of the synagogue And it exposed their disdain for other races. It exposed their unwillingness to receive the message of the truth. And there's a few things we'd like to say this morning. If you'll listen fast, I'll preach fast. Number one, religion without Jesus is vain, empty, and useless in the light of eternity. If you find out the way that your parents raised you doesn't line up with the Bible, then forsake the religion that your parents gave you and go with the Scripture. Well, who would you rather have? Tradition or the truth? If vain religion produced these folks at the synagogue, they didn't have Christ, didn't want Christ, didn't receive Christ, they threw Him out. Listen, what what should they have done? They should have received Him. They should have said, Oh my goodness, we never saw this before. They should have been humble, but they weren't humble. They were so angry, they wanted to get Christ out of there. Christ's messages are meant to be received, believed, and embraced. That's a pretty simple point. The message of Christ is meant to be believed, received, and embraced. You know, when the pastor told me that I would not go to heaven if I died without Christ, I had to receive that. There was a day in my life when I was under heavy conviction of the Lord. He preached the gospel. He was preaching from Isaiah 53. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. I, I, I knew that I wasn't going to heaven. In fact, my pastor even had the audacity to use the word hell from the pulpit. There was a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And by the way, God called preachers don't have a problem preaching on the subject of hell. Because it's found in the scripture. I'm not preaching a book that I came up with. I'm preaching a book that God gave to us. This is, and they say, well, preacher, I don't like hearing about hell. You may not like to hear about it. And to be honest, I don't even like delivering messages of eternal judgment, eternal condemnation. But it's true. And I remember I didn't, I knew that I I didn't have Christ. And I knew I was lost. And I remember the conviction of God coming down upon me. And I had a choice at that point to receive what God said about me as true and to turn to Christ. Or I could get angry and hardened and reject the message of the truth. That's what these folks in Nazareth did. They rejected the message of the truth. Another point we might come up with from this passage is that not everyone will receive the message of Christ in the scriptures. There's always going to be Bible deniers that are out there. These folks denied the scripture. They denied that God would save people that were not Jewish. And when the Lord told them that God did good things to the Gentiles, 
They said, that's it for you, preacher. You gone. I mean, top of a hill, if you hate somebody that much to throw somebody off a hill, there's something wrong with you. In the name of religion? Again, these are the folks that Jesus grew up with. He grew up with these folks. And so the message of the Lord is not always going to be received. You know, the Bible says this in the book of John. It says this, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's how you get saved. You receive Jesus Christ. You know, if Jesus spoke hard things while he was on the earth, and he did, there were people who stuck with Jesus, even though he said hard things, and they didn't understand fully. There were those who said, we're going to hear you again. We're going to, you know, some were following Christ just because they wanted to see another magic trick or a miracle done. They wanted their bellies filled. But there were others who received Christ for who he was. And I just want to tell you today, friend, Jesus Christ is the greatest thing in my life that's ever happened. When my pastor was preaching and I felt the drawing of the Lord and I I knelt down, I was in a a building that looked very much like this. In fact, when I walked into this building, I I grew up under under rafters that looked like this, under a wood-slatted roof. I sat in the second pew with my family over to the left side. And I remember as the pastor was preaching and I felt the Lord coming on my heart and let me know that I was a sinner and I was not heading to the good place. I was apart from the Lord. He told me about Jesus Christ and Him paying for all of my sins on Calvary's cross, that He he was wounded for me, that He shed His blood for me. And when I saw Jesus Christ with that crown of thorns in my mind's eye and the blood dripping from His forehead, I, I was thinking, He did that for me. He was willing to do that. He didn't have to do that, but He did it for me. And as the pastor preached, he says, If you're lost, why are you lost? You need to be saved. You can be saved. The Lord's willing to save you. And I thought, why am I sitting here lost? And so I came down to the altar and I knelt down on this side of the church. And they had a man named Vernon Wills come up and start praying with me. Brother Vernon was a good servant of the Lord. And he was praying out loud in my ear and it was kind of distracting me. And I had to ask Brother Vernon, can you just let me alone for a minute? I need to get some stuff said to the Lord. And you know, I prayed that sinner's prayer, and I prayed the sinner's prayer before. The prayer doesn't save you. There are no magic words so that you can get saved. Salvation is by faith. Now, I knew all the facts about Calvary, that Jesus died in my place and his blood was shed for my sin. I knew that. I knew that I wouldn't go to heaven without Christ. I knew that he was my only hope. And as I prayed to the Lord, I said, Lord, how come I don't have peace in my heart? And you know what came to me was, you haven't trusted me. You haven't believed. You can say all the right things, but if you don't believe, you don't get saved. Matter of fact, you show me one verse in the Bible that ever tells you to ask Jesus to save you, and I'll give you all the money in my wallet. The Bible doesn't say to ask Jesus. It says to trust Jesus. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You don't get saved by asking. You get saved by believing. And by receiving, and receiving takes place by faith. What I was missing was the operation of faith. Children sometimes have a hard time grasping this. I did. I didn't get it until I was about 12, 13 years old. And I got it at an old-fashioned altar where I said, Lord, what's, what's wrong? How come I don't have peace? And it came to me. I haven't believed. And I said, Lord, I believe. 
What was I believing? That Jesus Christ wouldn't cast away a repentant sinner. What was I believing? That if I came to the Lord, He would take me, He would receive me, and that He would forgive me. When I said, Lord, I believe, there was a burden that was lifted off my shoulders and something happened in my heart that couldn't have been given by anybody other than God. It was called the peace that passes all understanding. I had been forgiven. It was a glorious day, friend. When I stood up off that altar, I knew that I had been free. I knew that I had been forgiven. And I knew that this battle for salvation in my heart was over. And see, I believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. So I believe once you get into the hand of the Lord, you can't lose your salvation. You know, I've had five children. My children have made a lot of mistakes, but not one of them made such a mistake to where I opened the door and said, never come back. You ain't my kid no more. You think you're a better father than, you, than God the Father? You're going to tell me God the Father is going to receive you as a son and adopt you as a son, and the next time you think something you shouldn't think, He's going to boot you out the door and tell you you're not saved no more? No, thank you. That's not God the Father to me. My God is a forgiving God. My God sent Jesus Christ to pay for all my sin debt, past, present, and future. And when I received Christ, I received His righteousness. Have you ever received the Lord Jesus Christ? You say, we call this being born again. You get that birth certificate on earth. But what about that heavenly birth certificate? You know, there's, you know some of you guys that are out here, you've been married. There was a time in your life when you were not married. Right? You weren't born married. You ever heard somebody say, well, I was born saved. No, you weren't born saved. You were born lost. And you need to get saved. You need to be born again. And you know how Nicodemus responded to that in John chapter number 3. You have to get saved. Salvation takes place by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you have a choice here this morning. Just like these folks at Nazareth, you can receive the message of the truth. Now there could be somebody here today who says, I do not know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was once one of those. Sitting in church. I had a Bible. I had Bible knowledge, but I didn't know Christ. I had not received Him as my Lord and Savior. And you know, the Bible says this, Suffer the little children to come unto me. You could be a child here today, and you're lost. You need to get saved. You could be an adult here today, and you need to get saved. Everybody needs to get saved. And some people will say, well, I've always been saved. And, you know, you haven't always been saved. You need, there's a time and a place in your life. You, we used to sing a song out of the Green Book in, in our church. I can tell you now the time I could take you to the place where the Lord saved me by His wonderful grace. There ought to be a time and a place in your life when you know you received the Lord Jesus Christ. You not knowing the day you got saved is like your mama not knowing the day you were born. I don't think she's going to forget that, friend, not if she keeps her mental faculties. And if you get saved by the grace of God, you should be able to take me to a time and a place where you were under conviction and when you received Jesus Christ by faith. And when he gave you that peace that passeth all understanding. Now, I don't know how the Lord has used this message in your life, but I can tell you this. You can receive the message of the truth, or you can reject the message of the truth, Or you can continue considering the truth. My encouragement to you as a minister of the gospel is don't reject the truth. You may not understand all of it, but you shouldn't reject it in your heart. You should ask the Lord to give you understanding. And if there's somebody here today who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, we want to invite you to come during this invitation. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We'll have the musicians come and prepare for a verse of invitation. There could be somebody here today 
who doesn't know the Lord as their Savior. It could be you, young person. It could be you, older person, sir, ma'am. You may not know the Lord as your Savior. As we play the number that we're going to play for the, for the invitation, I want to ask a question today. Is there anybody here today that would say, hey, listen, preacher, I, I'm under conviction right now. I promise you I will not come to you. But if you'd say, hey, listen, would you pray for me? I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you just lift your hand and put it right back down? Is there anybody that say, hey, I'm not saved today? Anybody at all? I'm looking. Young person, older person, anybody? Pray for me. I see that hand. Anybody else? Hey, listen, we're going to pray in just a moment. I want you to know that in a church service like this, when the invitation starts, it's an invitation for you to come and receive the Lord. There'll be somebody come help you. As we play this number, I want to ask that you come. Maybe you want to come and pray for a family member. Maybe you want to thank God for the salvation He offered you. However the Lord's worked in your heart, I want to invite you to come to the altar as we sing this number. Just as I am without
reject it, you're going to receive it, or you're going to review it. Which is it? You're going to do one of the three. What are you going to do with it? I feel like we've been to church this morning. God's met with us. We heard the message. We needed that message. What are you going to do with it? We're singing this verse. Just as I Sundays. That's good, isn't it? Well, brother, why don't you get your wife and family and lead us down that hall, down to the kitchen, and uh, they'll be first in line, and that way they can get through eating, and he'll have time to relax a little bit before he has to preach again. And uh, you who follow them down to the kitchen, try to shake a hand and get acquainted with them, would you? They probably won't have time to eat if you do that, but, but they need to get acquainted with us. We need acquainted with them. We are having a meal, and then we're coming right back in here. Don't leave after you eat. Come back in here. He'll be preaching again, and then we're going to talk, have questions, answers, get acquainted time. And, and we need that. We can't put it off because some of them are going to be leaving. And so we've got to do it today. Anybody have a word before we dismiss? Remember to pray for Brother Tom, Miss Crenny. Pray for the uh, uh, the Pipers. No, they're back there. Pipers are here. I didn't think Brother Bill, Wild Bill, recovered. I didn't think he was going to be here today. So, and and pray for Elizabeth Lopez. She's still battling with those clots, what have you. 
Pray for our church. Pray God will just pour out something out of heaven on us and do what he'd like to do with every one of us. This world needs to hear what we just heard. I got some burdens on my heart, and I just ask you to pray for them. I'm not going to go in detail, but I just need your prayers. <clears throat> Anybody else? All right. Uh, yes. Pray for Bob. Yes. It's a blessing. Huh? Okay. You pray for these two ladies over here taking care of Bob. And thank the Lord they're in here in the service today. What a blessing. Amen. Brother Gary Branson, would you dismiss us and would you ask the blessing on the food?